Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Christmas and welcome to hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, a convincing celebrity impersonator of Hilary Swank. And very lifelike and even sounding the same, I am Ash Versus. And that is probably the closest we've come to overlapping on our introductory lines without actually doing it. Yeah, I thought I nearly had the uh, no one looked good in sunglasses apart from me but i was like Do you know what no i'm gonna go with the celebrity impersonator angle instead the hillary swank thing is still as valid today as it was then this episode aired on the 20th of december 1994 fifa 95 returns to the top of the console charts but there's no change in either the film or music charts as miracle on 34th street is top of the box office and e17 stay another day is top of the pops yes miracle on 34th street written and produced by john hughes that's right 13 candles, John Hughes. (laughs) 16 candles, John Hughes. That's right. 16 (laughs) candles, John Hughes. Edit point. They'll never know. Yeah, John Hughes. I forget that he wrote this because this is in that 90s period of time where he essentially stopped directing the movies that he was doing and just basically became a writer. Like it's a lot of people tend to forget he was the writer on Home Alone 3. And like he was basically just taking all of these writing gigs and it never quite felt like the john hughes of the john hughes era of like that 80s brat pack era of cinema john hughes stopped being john hughesy enough to be john hughes i'd say so yeah well john hughes fans never talk about this period of time they like you know they only ever really refer to the stuff that he was directing i mean i'll be honest you said he wrote home alone 3 and i was just like huh i'd forgotten <laughs> he wrote home alone 3 then huh I'd forgotten there was a Home Alone 3. It is. I think he wrote Flubber as well. Dare I say, yeah, Flubber is a better movie than this version of Miracle on 34th Street because 
whilst John Hughes wrote and produced this, this is not like an original IP. This is a remake. This isn't even the first remake. It's the first theatrical remake of the original 1947 film, but there had been various TV movie and TV miniseries remakes. This one does have Richard Attenborough, fresh off his success in Jurassic Park, still living in the shadow of his brother. Also, Mara Wilson, Elizabeth Perkins and Dylan McDermott. And essentially, it's exactly the same plot as the 1947 film. Yeah, there's not a huge amount to say about Miracle on 34th Street. I remember the film coming out because I was so into Jurassic Park. So obviously, you know, Richard Attenborough being in the film was, you know, quite an exciting thing. And Mara Wilson, this is kind of like the start of Mara Wilson's star turn that she has because she'd been in Mrs. Doubtfire in a very, very supporting role. But here she is kind of like in a lead. And from this, you then get Matilda and, and all that sort of stuff. But it felt like this was like the start of the Mara Wilson. Uh, I, I don't quite know what the word is, but she has like a run of films in the 90s. But just before we went on air, we were talking about another episode we you to record today. And the number one film in that time period stars Billy Crystal. And it's like, do you remember when Billy Crystal was hot for a New York minute? This is the Mara Wilson equivalent. Yeah. You know, it doesn't completely go away, much like Billy Crystal doesn't but definitely has this moment where it burns very brightly, very quickly. Thankfully, doesn't burn out. We don't get a Culkin. We don't get a, um, we don't get a Drew Barrymore type situation here, which I'm, I'm immensely thankful for. We've talked about the plights of child actors got far too many times on this show, depressingly so. Depressingly so. Like, I, I mean, we get Macaulay Culkin on this episode of the show, so we can talk about him a bit later on. But uh, yeah, like Mara wasn't, you know, she, she went on to a very, not, uh, I, I wouldn't say... And it's a successful career. She, you know, she becomes a writer. She's written books. She has written plays, I think. She has, um, yeah, she's she's living a very cool New York lifestyle. Man, I'd like to be living a cool New York lifestyle like now, yeah, right same now. Here. One of those lofts yeah. that you only ever see oh. in film and television. No one really owns one. Well, they do. Rich businessmen own them and they never live there. And I think us diverging into this topic of conversation means, just shows how little there is to say about Miracle on 34th Street, which is... I God, when was the last time I saw this movie? I love Christmas, as we've talked about on this podcast a lot. This isn't part of my Christmas watch list. I'm more likely to include the original. Yeah, I think so. Just because that's of its time and that's of its period. This is a remake. I mean, the original involved Macy's. This one, Macy's declined to be involved. So they had to come up with a fictional Coles department store. And it's still essentially the same story. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll give it another go this year. Uh, or maybe I'll just throw the original on, who knows. But yeah, Dickie Attenborough stars as one Chris Kringle, read into that what you will, who takes over the role of a department Santa store from a drunk. It almost goes a bit, it's a wonderful life here, really. But yeah. uh, uh, Richard Attenborough's character is introduced berating the drunk Santa. So literally haranguing the guy and then getting a job off it. It's the American way, Luke. It's the American way. Stars and Stripes would be proud. But the film had its premiere at the Radio City Music Hall November 15th, 1994. So, wow, we're actually getting this over here really quick. We've talked about the transatlantic drift in releases for films, but this one didn't hang about. It's it's Christmas, isn't it? You can't be hanging around. You can't be releasing this in March the following year. Uh, That's true. You either release it quick or you wait a year. And Hollywood has been guilty of doing both of those. Oh, yeah. At its premiere, there was a 30-minute stage show with scenes from the Radio City Christmas Spectacular featuring the Rockettes and Luke. Kenny G performed there. Kenny G. I thought I'd throw you a Wayne's World bone there. Yeah. 
opened at number eight with $2.7 million and eventually finished with a $17 million taking in North America and $46 million worldwide. Not bad. Not bad. I mean, to be honest, we get it for basically the rest of this podcast run. We have one more film to talk about in this series timeline, which is for the final episode. And it's about as far removed from the miracle <laughs> on 34th Street as you can get. Strong disagree. I think there's a lot of parallels to be made. Are you saying we should have David Attenborough playing Freddy Krueger now? <laughs> is this now following on from Hulk Hogan being the next Doctor Who? <laughs> exactly. It would have been a very different... I mean, actually, maybe it would have been a very similar movie. He was a very versatile actor. But yeah, we've got like one more movie. We get this for a long run and we've got E17 right until the end of the podcast run. Okay, here's a challenge for you, Mr. Christmas, D.A.D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are putting this movie in your Christmas rotation for this coming year, but you have to take a movie out. <sighs> what movie am I going to take out? Oh, right. What movie am I going to take out? Oh, I could tell you're really thinking about it because you moved away from the microphone in a real kind of like, oh, crap. Yeah, do you know what I think I will do? I'm taking out Home Alone 2. Yeah, okay. Only because I've, I've got Home Alone 1 already there. And I think Home Alone 1 is a far superior movie to the sequel. Uh, so, yeah, I think I'm going to take out Home Alone 2 for the year. See, I would have gone for a cheating route. Although, keep in mind, I don't know exactly what's in your Christmas rotation. I'd have just shifted Nightmare Before Christmas a month earlier and done it at Halloween. That also works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That totally works. Yeah, because Nightmare Before Christmas, I'm not quite as obsessed with it as a lot of people are. I do think it's a very good movie. I think it's a very clever movie. Uh, Big up for Danny Elfman getting a feature role in that one as the singing voice of Jack. But if it's just as well at Halloween as it does at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, that's not one that's heavily uh, rotated in my Christmas watch list. Only because both my wife and I uh, like it, but we don't love it enough to watch it ad nauseum. Of all the films I could quote back to you almost verbatim, that's not one of them. I could probably do a better job of Ghostbusters 2, which is technically a Christmas film. Yeah, well, absolutely. I would. I have been arguing to put that into Christmas rotation for many years. I used to work in a toy shop, a different toy shop to the one I often reference with the, the terrible soundtrack that I had to listen to. This was actually like a collectibles toy shop when I was a student that had a entire section of it dedicated to Nightmare Before Christmas and all of the merchandise that was there to the point where we used to refer to it as Tim Burton's teenage goth merchandising machine. Christmas night on BBC One. You planning to join us then, matey? No, to lead you. Join Kevin Costner and his merry men to take on the dastardly Alan Rickman. Join us. At nine o'clock, pull a cracker with the not-so-merry Victor Mildrew. Okay, let's funky it up a little bit, come on. At 9.40, Victoria will help you burn off that Christmas dinner. Well, some of it. You don't want to be Madonna, do we? Some of us want to be Petula Club. <laughs> and at 10.40, we bring you sunshine from a Christmas past. The perfect Christmas present from BBC One. This is our Christmas episode, so we thought we would look at the Christmas TV listings, as we usually do. Now, we were talking about doing this next week because, you know, that is the days after this would have aired. Because we are, what, like five days before Christmas at this point? But we thought we did this here because this is a Christmas special. Let's get into the Christmas mood. So I have got the Christmas movie premieres from BBC and ITV, if you would like to hear them. Go for it. I'm just blown away that here we are. We've been recording this podcast for coming on two years. 
we've been releasing it for like 20, 20 months, I guess, mm-hmm. roughly Something that. Something like that, yeah. We have celebrated three Christmases. No, four Christmases. Five? I mean, there's been two real Christmases in there. And yeah. then there's all the ones that we've hit as a result of Games Master, uh, Under Consultation Extra, and God knows what else. We've had a lot of Christmases, Luke. It's a good job you and I like Christmas, really. Otherwise, if we were real grumpy gusses about Christmas. This would have been an absolute nightmare for us. The, oh, actually, the other thing I wanted to mention from TV news, only because it's pertinent to uh, our other shows that we do. December 20th, 1994, ITV airs the final episode of Raggy Dolls. It's Dolls like you and me. Dolls like you and me. The f- on this day, uh, the, the Games Master read the final episode of Raggy Dolls ever read. But let's go through the Christmas premieres, the big movie premieres, because that's what you think about when it comes to Christmas. And the thing that surprised me the most is that ITV only had one premiere over the Christmas period. They were all over on BBC. Wow. Big spender from the corp. I think so, yeah. What was ITV's big premiere? It wasn't even on Christmas Day, it was on Boxing Day, and it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. All the very best for Boxing Day from Carlton. You won't have to look any further than 4.20 to see Never Say Never Again. I made you all wet. Yes, but my martini's still dry. My name's James. But he's not as dangerous as the other Mr. B at 7. A Boxing Day visit to Coronation Street follows at 7.30, and at 8.30, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And with Dave Allen at 10.30, that's your Boxing Day entertainment on Carlton. Oh, that is a good one, though. Yeah, they spent all of their money. Spent all of their money to Disney to get Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I do know what was BBC's Christmas Day premiere. Oh, I remember it as well. I remember my mum getting us around the TV so we could all watch it together. I'd have rather watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids on Christmas Day, personally. So yeah, no, this was, um, I, I remember this very clearly. So December 24th, so uh, Christmas Eve, we had the premiere of American Tale 2, Five Will Goes West, which I actually had on VHS. And I'm a big fan of that movie as a sequel. But the uh, you mentioned it there on December 25th on BBC. We had the premiere of Jetsons the Movie, but perhaps more importantly, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So your mum gathered you round to watch the Jetsons movie, yeah? Well, I remember watching that in the afternoon. And then I, and my, we actually bring this story up a lot uh, with my mum because my brother and I were, you know, we're sociable kids and everything like that. But it's Christmas Day. You've got your games and stuff and you go up to your room and then you, you play with your toys and this that, and the other. And my mum had this thing of just like, no, this is Christmas Day. We should all be around the TV together. So we all sat down to watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And they sat us down, and within 10 minutes, both my mum and dad fell asleep. Too much turkey. Too much turkey, being up all night, wrapping up presents for their children. They fell asleep, so me and my brother went upstairs again. Because we realised they'd already fallen asleep, don't need to be down here. I don't want to watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So I went back upstairs to play Earthworm Jim. It is still my second favourite Robin Hood film. Like, modern-ish Robin Hood film. I don't know why there is such an issue making a Robin Hood movie Mm. because so many have attempted it and so many of them just miss the mark by a country fucking mile. And I don't fully understand why. My my favourite Robin Hood movie, by the way, is the Disney animated Robin Hood. It's great. But then you look at the ones that have come afterwards and they all just seem to go too dark or too serious. This one has a nice balance of serious and camp. I mean, you know... R.I.P. Miss him still. Alan Rickman as the sheriff of rotting Nottingham. 
Do you mind? We've just been married. And of course, that song. Oh, it's featured heavily. I found the, the BBC trail for it uh, for Christmas. And that song is fe featured heavily as a way to tell you to watch this film. But listen, yeah, we can use you, it for doing the dishes. You've got the we? presents, we've got the mince pies, we've got oh, the yes, sweeties. Oh, yes, it's a party day. What I'd like is a Christmas song. What will you, will you sing for me, chaps, on Christmas Day? Do you see this gear that I am wearing? This apparel? Wow. Mr. Ross? Hello. See my jacket? This is my jacket the said IG on it. This is the Zagamuffin wrapping outfit. You don't mean you're going to... Now I'm going to ask the crew. I am going to ask them. Would you like to hear our song? Yeah! Okay, let's hit it! Well, Show! let's do it! Sing it back! Stop This it. is the Zagamuffin calling planet Earth. Ziggy Man and Zagamuffin are in the Whoa, house in Christmas. That's a right. Ziggy and Zag stay This is dumb slave business. Come down to Lector. Find them all. Channel 4, meanwhile, for December, didn't have a movie premiere, but at 5.30 they had, and this is a real sign of the times, Zig and Zag's Christmas special. Oh, Zig and Zag. That's amazing. We haven't really had Zig and Zag come up in our timeline before, but they are a huge... We'll get them at some point because they get their number one single, but they were huge at this period of time. I mean, we have talked and muttered about maybe doing something Big Breakfast related at some point. On Boxing Day, back on the Beeb, more premieres. Boxing Day on BBC One, and Auntie's got some new bloomers. And the chaos continues at 6.25 when Big Arnie is put in charge of some little darlings. EastEnders is at 10 past eight. And how is Grant feeling now that the traumas of Christmas Day are over? I've never been happier. Now, why don't I believe that? Believe it. At 8.40, size up Christmas with the Porters. Whenever <laughs> At 10 past nine. Screams in the night. It can only mean one thing. The Adams family are getting into the Christmas spirit. So why not? Drop in. At 11, Radio 1 joins forces with BBC One for the Prince's Trust Gala concert. Boxing Day on BBC One. Dun, 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 dun. Super. What a day that is. Kindergarten Cop followed by the Adams family. Very nice. Like, that is a good, that's good competition to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids over on ITV. And the premieres continued for BBC. On BBC Two, they had the premiere of Thelma and Louise, but on BBC One, it was the premiere of Dick Tracy. Christmas movie magic on BBC One. Dick Tracy, coming, Dick Tracy. Come on. Dick Tracy. Holiday Tuesday, eight o'clock. Dick Tracy, a often forgotten and possibly overhated comic book movie. Agreed, yeah. I mean, you look at it, much like Tim Burton's Batman, it's got its style. And in the case of Dick Tracy, they've nailed the look of the comic book. Yeah, totally. I, I actually went through a bit of a period of being a Dick Tracy fan, not so much the movie, but there was a time where you just got these big old reprinted black and white cheap paperbacks of the original Dick Tracy comic strips. And they were great. I used to have like three or four of those and each of them was about an inch and a half thick. 
And it was just like a complete, it was almost the complete works of Dick Tracy. You had all these outlandish characters, which they presented in the film really well. So that's a movie I've not watched in a long time. And of course, stars Warren Beatty and Madonna, mm-hmm. Madge, official unfit bird. <laughs> it's got like a big name cast and they've all got like these crazy costumes and crazy prosthetics on it and stuff like that. It is, I haven't seen it in many a year, but I, I have been meaning to go back and give it another shot. One last movie premiere to make mention of, and I know you'll know why I'm making mention of this because it actually airs seven days after this episode airs. This is on uh, December 27th on ITV. It's the network premiere of After the News. Charlie Sheen stars in the movie premiere Navy Seals at 10:35. Ooh, Navy Seals! Merry Christmas, boys and girls, and welcome to the Gamesmaster Beach Special. The surf is up, the fun is beaming down, and all around we can see concrete proof that nobody ever looks cool in sunglasses. It is the 90s, and Gamesmaster is a bit anarchic, which means it's a beach special episode of Gamesmaster. Yo, dudes! <laughs> Dominic Diamond spends this whole episode in a beach towel, essentially. No top, just the beach towel. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. <laughs> I do love that the goblins are wearing their normal robes and grass skirts, but no one's thought to trim the skirts because these skirts are so long, they are wearing them under their armpits and they're still dragging on the floor. But I love this. I love the concept of a Christmas summer beach party in hell. This sounds like the sort of party theme I would throw now. Like, literally, what's the theme for this fancy dress party? Well, it's a summer beach party Christmas in hell. That's got so much room to play with from a costume point of view. Well, let's get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Yo, dudes. The first challenge of our Christmas beach special is the frenzied frisbee game, Windjammers on the Neo Geo. Our celebrated contestants have three rounds to prove their beach bravado. They toss their plastic plates back and forth. Right then, let's party. I mean, I know we want to talk about the game, but first off, let's talk about Games Master here. Because even Games Master is in on this. He's wearing the sunglasses. He comes up, yo, dudes. And then after all this, right then, let's party. He's having way too much fun with this, but I love how he's wearing the sunglasses over the top of his eyepiece that's part of the costume. And I bet you they had fun trying to get that all to fit together. Oh, yeah. And I can just imagine in like whatever room that they were in, filming with Patrick Moore and getting him to say, hey, Patrick, can you just say, yo, dudes? Thing is, he says it quite a lot in this season. He says it a number of times in this episode. And I actually think he quite enjoys it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he said it like dude has been said a lot in series three as well. Get skitching, dude. So he is clearly on board with the uh, the new lingo. Yes, he's down with the kids. He knows what it is. Problem is they keep changing what it is. Uh, right. Well, let's get into so Let's talk about Windjammers then, uh, because this is a game that we've kind of been building up to on this show. We've Every time we brought up the Neo Geo, it always feels like you and I bring up Windjammers and how much we love Windjammers and then have said, but we'll hold on our chat about Windjammers because we get it as a challenge in Series 4. And that challenge has now arrived. I often had this thing of like, how do you describe Windjammers as a game mechanic? Because it's not quite tennis and it's not quite football. I mean, the sad thing is, essentially it's Pong. Yeah, it's, it's Pong with different scoring areas and special moves. And special moves and the ability to hold the ball or disc. Yeah. 
It's a data east game. It came out for the Neo Geo uh, arcade system. Also, obviously, went over to the home system as well. It's been ported so many times. There is a sequel due out this year for the PS4, PS5, Switch, PC, and Google Stadia. There's a word we haven't said before. Yeah, and I don't think we'll ever say again, to be honest. But six selectable characters, much like a fighting game, each has their own power ratings and special throws and speed. Each person has a side of a court. And then it, it is basically tennis mixed with Ultimate Frisbee, like if you wanted to try and recreate it in real life. But as you mentioned, there are different scoring zones. Uh, the yellow zones are worth three points. The pink zones are worth five points. Uh, zone positioning changes for each court, so you can't just apply the same tactics for every match you play. You can kind of do this thing, which they describe in this game, which is where when you the disc is thrown towards you, if you get in position, you kind of punch the disc, causing it to flip up into the air, and that's when you charge up for your special move. But if you don't catch it, that's a miss, and that's two points. So two points for biffing it, three points or five points for scoring in one of the zones. Yeah, two points for biffing it goes to the other person, just to, just to clarify in case you are trying to keep score of the, uh, the rules. Yeah, it starts with just like kind of throwing back and forth, but then you can do things like you can bounce it off the walls, you can do the various special moves, some of which makes it fly in predetermined patterns, so it will zigzag across or kind of loop around in circles. It is a big, bold, bright, fun Data East game. It's synonymous, I think, for both of us with the Neo Geo, even though it's not an SNK game. I associated with that jingle for the Neo Geo, with that style of cabinet, with those kind of joysticks. I can't walk past a Windjammer's cab and not play it. It's so much fun. Like I, We've spent hours playing this. Uh, the PS4 re-release they had of it, uh, just before the UK Games Expo in 2019, we basically were like, because we were driving from my house, so there was me and four of my friends, and we were basically just there, and we were playing Windjammers for hours and hours and hours. Like we was it got to a point in time, was like, right, we need to like buckle down for the night because we have got to get up early and drive to Birmingham. Uh, but there was always this like, ah, but just one more game though, right? Yeah, just just one more round of of Windjammers, and then we'll call it a night. And that one more becomes one more, which becomes one more, which becomes one more. Like any one on one game, be it your Street Fighters, your fighting games your windjammers, stuff like that. Against a computer, it's okay. It's all right. Couple of mates, that's where the money is because that's when you suddenly start like keeping tallies and that's where, you know, it's winner stays on. And... Tournaments. Yeah. You create like a G1 tournament block. I'm really excited for windjammers too because it will have net play. Yeah. Or it should have net play. If it doesn't have net play, well, they've made a mistake there. Yeah. Also got to hope that it's got local multiplayer as well. Oh, I'd see multi, local multiplayer. That that will be a given. And you can bet your bottom dollar I will be buying it for the Switch. And when we're back in person again, I will be bringing the Switch with me because then we, I mean, we will get less recording done. Let's put it that way. <laughs> anyway, we have digressed massively. It's a Christmas special. It's a beach party special. Mate, it's a celebrity special in Bucky O'Hare fucking ears. <laughs> exactly, it is. I mean, Dominic Diamond says that they get calls about these celebrities during the broadcast of this episode and their legitimacy. But let's find out who our first batch of celebrities are. Well, you know, it wouldn't be a beach party without some top drawer celebs. So please welcome for this first challenge, Kylie Minogue and John Major. Okay, Kylie, and you've changed your image recently. It's a bit more sexy, a bit more sassier. Why is that? Well, I'm showing people I'm more serious these days. Ah, I'm a big girl now. I thought, I kind of suspected that was the reason, Kylie. 
And uh, now, Mr. Major, sir, uh, you haven't changed your image. Why not? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I had the suspicion you might say that. Bloody hell, they've got Kylie Minogue and John Major on the show. It's definitely them as well. Definitely really, really them. They are very convincing lookalikes. It may be because we're watching this fifth generation VHS record, but they're fairly convincing. Okay, you've gone from really to fairly in the space of a sentence. Kylie, I will give the benefit of the doubt. The wig's a little wonky. Literally, the wig is a little wonky. But she also tries to do the accent. The John Major impersonator yeah. is a guy that round the office people have gone, you know, if you gave yourself a side parting, you'd look like John Major. And you can tell that's basically the origin of his impersonator career because he doesn't even try to do the voice. That's it. Literally, like... John Major is one of the easiest politician voices to do from the 90s. And he doesn't even give it a try. Yeah, it all falls apart as soon as he opens up his mouth. Because he looks a, you know, a fair amount like him. Then he opens up his cup and he may as well go like, Hey, up, John Major here. Kylie says she's gone for the glam and sexy image to show she's more serious these days. Dom just turns straight to John Boy, which <laughs> I, that made me laugh, and says... You haven't tried this sort of thing, John. He's like, no, 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 I haven't really. Yeah, uh, that's the thing as well. Like, the Kylie impersonator is in character. She is Kylie Minogue. The John Major one is like, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, I, I, I think you might be onto something here. He was just someone who was told at one point, you look a little bit like him. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they asked Kylie. Maybe she couldn't. I mean, she, she'd been busy on the kind of the Street Fighter stuff at this point. Or, you know, she, she'd, have been a, she'd have been a busy lass working on her movie career. So... So, yeah, I, you know, I can understand why she may not have RSVP'd. And John, John was allegedly running a country. Yeah, he was, he was a busy boy. Was he, Luke? <laughs> a busy-ish boy. With only four days to go, I finally dragged myself off to acquire some Christmas goods. The Super Nintendo Christmas will be dominated by Donkey Kong Country. Essentially a platform game, it does import next generation graphics uh, using the Silicon Graphics Machine. However, this doesn't hide the fact that it's actually very dull. While we're on the subject of overrated games, Rise of the Robots, the game that's taken about 40 years to finally get here. I can sum up Rise of the Robots in two words. 70 quid. No thank you. The Super Nintendo Gamer issue, however, for me, Street Racer, half the price of Rise of the Robots, only 35 quid. The game which kicks Super Mario Kart's pants into next week. Well, Dominic Diamond is a busy boy because he's gone to HMV with the Goblins. I had a wonderful pang of nostalgic, like, just this wave of going to a big mega store, going to the HMVs in Reading Town Centre, particularly actually going to the Virgin Megastore, which is one of those three-floor ones, and just spending hours walking around and just looking at things, picking things up, looking on the back, putting it back, and things like that. Oh, it's just, it was really awesome to watch Dominic Diamond walk around this HMV, pick up games, talk about them, put them back, move on to the next thing. Put them back? Well, sometimes he throws them on the floor, but yes. Uh, my big takeaway from this is, one, I hadn't realised how similar a lot of HMVs were at the time because I'm like, man, this looks like the one in Cheltenham. Mm -hmm. they, they really got their branding down pat. And I, I think, I don't know, Virgin Megastores felt like they had more individuality. The Virgin Megastore in Cheltenham was definitely the better option of the two. Yeah, and my, the Virgin Megastore in Reading was awesome. It was so, so cool. I, I feel like the, the Virgin Megastore, maybe the Virgin Megastore in Pompey looked similar to the one in Reading. I seem to remember them looking quite similar. 
my favourite bit about this opening of this segment is actually just Dominic being out and about with the goblins and the goblins being goblins, tripping people up, flagrant shoplifting, stealing anything that's not nailed down and just chucking it in their burlap sacks. It is so much fun, especially because there are people just wandering around in the background. And at one point in this section, this Asian guy just kind of walks down right up to Dominic and he's just looking down at the goblins. And it's like, well, it is that London. Like the segment is great anyway, particularly because we get through like he does the snares and then we'll hear from the Mega Drive and the PC ones in just a moment. Then he does all the import stuff. And that's all great. But I think this is made so much better because the goblins are with him. They're earning their paycheck, put it that way. But yeah, we start with the snares. His recommendations, I'm going to put that in Bucky O'Hare's because they're not all recommendations. Some of them are ones to avoid, like Donkey Kong Country. He's like, well, this will dominate Christmas, but I think it's quite dull. Well, I think he doesn't like a platform game, does Dominic. And I think that's kind of where he's coming out with Donkey Kong Country here, because he's like, yeah, the graphics are great, but it doesn't hide the fact that it's just another platformer. And then we move on to Rise of the Robots, which can be summed up in two words. (laughs) 17 quid. Fuck that. Oh, man, that's a lot of dollar to be throwing down on such a crap game. Can you imagine parents buying that for a kid for Christmas? And having spent 70 quid on it and the kids just going, but it's It's so bad. Thankfully, though, there is a much better option to get and it kicks Mario Kart's pants, Street Racer on the snares. Now, I I want to throw a bit of love out for Street Racer because the lads over from Sonic the Comet, the podcast, they're in a very bizarre little time frame here because they are sort of in the same period of time as us, but also a different period of time with us. We're like a year before them, like six months before them. But also the Sonic the Comic only reviews games that are literally just come out, whereas Games Master's a lot of previews of things. So we've been seeing a lot of like imports and early copies of things. So we've been talking about Street Racer at the same time they've been talking about Street Racer in 95. And they have been ragging on Street Racer for not being that great. What the hell, Dave? I know, right? But Street Racer is awesome. It's such a fun game. I mean, I still want us at some point to get enough joypads and collections and multi-taps together to do on the Saturn and PlayStation version. Yes. To do the big old multiplayer. Like, I've got a venue. I've got a projector available. You know, may- maybe for that fabled under-consultation live. Mm-hmm. Oh, we could have an eight-player street racer tournament, Luke. Yes, now we're talking. Earthworm Jim, you cannot beat. Definitely the most imaginative platform game ever written. Puts Donkey Kong to complete shame. Once again, in terms of good value for money, Mega Bomberman, the Mega Drive version of Super Bomberman... 30 quid now that is absolutely brilliant again you can link it up you can have multiplayer fun one to four players and it's rather smart for the mega drive though of course earthworm jim is the game to get and like it's funny because you know he was saying then that uh donkey kong country isn't all that great and i, I suggested it maybe it's because it's a platformer but he's putting over the platformer here with earthworm jim and it's the game that i've got for christmas 1994 so me and dominic diamond kindred spirits and he says it's the most imaginative platform game ever written mm. Okay, creatively, character, animation-wise, look, sound. Yeah, gameplay and mechanics-wise, mm, I don't necessarily agree because really there is nothing in Earthworm Jim gameplay-wise that hasn't been done before and done by others. A whip mechanic, we've already had Castlevania. A runny-shooty mechanic, God, so many bloody games. It is the presentation that mm. makes the difference. You know, it's a good game, but none of its gameplay mechanics are really kind of like super original. I think it's it's 
kind of because it, it brings it all together and there's so much variety yeah. in earthworm jim like no two levels are the same and i think maybe that's where he's coming from I, I wouldn't say it's the most imaginative platform game ever written purely because a lot of the gameplay mechanics have already been done and his line here where he said it puts donkey kong country to shame i wonder actually now 30 years worth of hindsight whether or not that holds true i think people look back on donkey kong country with a higher regard than they do earthworm jim Maybe I need to replay Earthworm Jim because as I covered on the podcast, I've replayed Donkey Kong Country recently. I had a great time playing that. I really, really enjoyed it. It's a fun game. Earthworm Jim's a lot harder, mm-hmm. so it would be a much more frustrating experience. But, uh, but who knows? Maybe, maybe I will revisit it soon. The big question facing Sega owners this Christmas, do they buy a 32X or not? Well, yes, it is good, but it's only a year until Sega's new Saturn comes out. So... The other thing you ought to bear in mind is don't pay too much attention to things like this which says 50 quid off 32x software. It's actually 5, 10 pound off vouchers. And when you consider there's only three 32x games out, this is a little bit of advertiser's license. But Dominic Diamond highlights one of Sega's big problems for 1994 and 1995. Should you get a 32x? No, because the Saturn will be out soon. Sega's mixed messages, man. He also picks up on some marketing guff by saying 50 pound off. Uh, five times £10 vouchers off, and also there's only three games out anyway. Yeah, doesn't quite work out that way. And also one of those is Doom, and it's not very good on the 32X. But the Goblin steal one anyway. There's been a huge boom in PC buying this year. This is probably the ultimate. It comes from LNX. It's got a very compact CPU, but it's got a Pentium chip, 100 megahertz clock speed, 1000 meg hard drive, and 64 meg RAM. It also has an unfeasibly large monitor. All this means I could probably tell you when you needed to change your pants, but at £6,000, you probably couldn't afford it. As far as the PC is concerned, this is Doom 2. Everybody's heard about it by now. There's no need for me to say anymore. If you haven't got it yet, you are a pillock. But as far as value for money goes this Christmas, it's difficult to beat the X-Wing CD-ROM set. You've got the original X-Wing game plus the two data discs Imperial Pursuit and B-Wing, plus even more historical missions to play. All of this for 40 quid, which is excellent value. Up next, and I feel this is something that we're going to get a little bit of more as Games Master rolls on and PCs become more prevalent in British homes. It's talking about the specs of a PC, which I have never really understood. And Dom said a lot of stuff here. And as someone who doesn't really know that much, I'm like, I heard £6,000. That's the bit I understood. Oh, and then you said Doom 2. And and I'm on board with that. I mean, I understood the spec here. And it's a, I mean, it's a pretty expensive PC for the time, but it is also a pretty high spec PC. PC for the time. I mean, we got our modern Windows 95 PC. I think it was actually in 95 or early 96. You know, it wasn't that far in the future. And whilst we did have a Pentium 166 megahertz processor, so slightly faster than this, we only had 16 meg of RAM. We didn't have 64. 64 is a lot of memory for 1994 going on 95. We might have had a one gigabyte, a thousand megabyte hard drive, but certainly nothing more than that. And the monitor, I mean, it looked to be a decent size, 15 inch, maybe slightly more. But what got me was how compact the box was. This was a slim line. I mean, I got a computer of Mevisham Micros, which weirdly, I went to school with the son of one of the founders of, who is still kicking around today. It's actually a, a driver, a, a race, a competitive race driver of some note. So hmm. there we go. But this, I don't know if it was £6,000 worth to me, but this was a this was a fairly spicy old PC for the time. I mean, it was made by LNX. 
which was a local company to London. It was a company founded in Finchley. The name came from the names of the founder's two sons. He took the last two letters of Daniel and Gideon and the first two letters of Export, and that was LNX. Company is based in Birmingham now, but in this time period, they were the shirt sponsor for Wimbledon FC. So it actually ties back to previous guests for Gamesmaster. Yeah. But on PC, Doom 2, we've talked about Doom so much, be it the original or the sequel. X-Wing on CD-ROM, it's not just your regular X-Wing, it's your X-Wing with all the expansion packs and bonus missions. That is a tasty, tasty pack to get. For only 40 quid as well. 30 quid less than getting Rise of the Robots on the SNES. And technically two to three games in there. Yeah, it's not bad at all. And as we mentioned all the way through this, the goblins have been light-fingeredly making their way through HMV. Their sacks are bulging, Luke. Now, all this official stuff's very well and good, but if you're an impatient young pup who longs to get their hands on some foreign elements, the best thing to do is to visit one of this country's quality import shops like this one. <laughs> Furthest away from me, wearing Ridge Racer pants, is the Sony PlayStation, costing 750 quid. There's about four games available for it. Closest to me, wearing Virtua Fighter-flavoured pants, we have the Sega Saturn. That weighs in at 600 notes, and there's about seven games available. So... Why are they so expensive? I mean, people will be watching this at home, their toes curling at 750 quid, 600 quid. Why is it so much? Well, basically, um, Sony don't want to launch this product as with Sega in this country, so we had to go out ourselves to Japan and go to retail shops in Japan and buy them there. You can't get them in Japan right now. You can't get them anywhere. They sold out in Japan within 24 hours. So um, we, this price has to be as it is. It will drop dramatically over the next three weeks when supply overcomes demand. Right. Well, they're only going to get a bit more bulging because this is my favorite bit of the feature. This is them going to the import shop to look at what you can get for, you know, that will be on the shelves next year. But you could get now if you want to throw down a few notes. You can get a Sega Saturn for 600 or you could get a PlayStation for 750 Dropping down a lot of money here, but, you know, Bobby tells you exactly why that uh, they have to, they cost this much, which completely makes sense. It just depends on, you know, whether or not you want to wait until it's officially released in the UK and it's got a good library of games, or you just have to get your hands on it now and work with the games that, you can, that you've currently got available to you. Now, there were a number of notable things in this segment. One is Dominic said Virtua Fighter Singular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is I think is the only time he does that because he says Virtua Fighters next week. Next is how carefully the goblins steal the <laughs> yeah. Saturn and PlayStation boxes. It's like, do not dent these boxes. They're empty. But really, this is literally over a thousand pounds worth of gear. Yeah. Secondly, you said the import shop. Did you recognize the import shop? I didn't actually know, but I'm not, I was not a regular of London. Oh, well, it's still there today. Rathbone Place Computer Exchange. Because Bobby, the import shop geezer, is actually Robert Dadani, one of the founders of CEX, otherwise known as Computer Exchange, who in 1999, at age 30, had a value of over £10 million. It's not bad at all, is it? And at this point, it was just an individual shop. The Computer Exchange Group wasn't founded until 1996, at which point he became one of their directors. And this was where it all began. This was his second-hand computer game shop just off of London Tottenham Court Road, although Rathbone Place. It's like if you've got Oxford Street and then you've got Tottenham Court Road and you've got the corner where they intersect, where Mm -hmm. Tottenham Court Road Tube Station is, essentially Rathbone Place is kind of at the mid at the median point mm-hmm. 
But also, Dodani is someone that proves that studying will get you nowhere. He completely flunked his business degree, but had a canny instinct for business acumen. Well, clearly, you know, he saw the emerging markets for video games in the UK. And I don't know if there were that many people who were doing this level of import exports. You know, these these big name consoles at this period of time. He was also super smart because he decided to go with Computer Exchange and the acronym CEX or SEX. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't realise until they started doing adverts on TV and on Spotify and stuff that it is supposed to be pronounced SEX because I've always just said CEX. Granted, we didn't get a CEX in Reading until, well, pretty well after I'd left and I'd left that place. For me, the most memorable thing about seeing this shop is this is only a few years removed from my first visit to this part of London and going to Computer Exchange when they still sold import devices because now you won't. You'll get all the standard stuff. I don't need to tell you what you're going to get in Computer Exchange, but they used to be much more edgy, much more kind of grey market. They sold imports and they didn't really care it became a lot harder to sell import games in a brick-and-mortar shop because of the actions of Sony, Nintendo, Sega, so on and so forth. They don't like you selling imports. Mm. Even if the games you're selling are games that they're not going to release in the country, they still don't want you selling them. But for me, I loved seeing that shop front and just going, I not only remember that shop front, I walked past it two weeks ago because it's still there, still in that same building. And then after the bump and Dominic leaves and he's like, oh, well, I'm going to let the goblins walk back as a present. I'm going to have to take other means. And he hops into a black cab and we get the pan around. And it's an area I know so well. Directly opposite, we see a pub in the background. That's the Wheat Sheaf pub. Uh, just down the road is the Fitzroy Tavern, which first Thursdays of the month, particularly in the late 90s into the early 2000s, that was where the Doctor Who crowd used to hang out. So this was a real nostalgia trip for me. I loved seeing this. And it was also nice to see Computer Exchange at a point when they were still kind of cool. Although for all the talk of the desirability of the Saturn and the PlayStation, ah, Bobby, that was a big stack of jacks behind you, mate. Well, yeah, they can't sell them for love nor money, I think. Yeah, CEX isn't a popular name amongst gamers these days, I don't think, because their, their second-hand market for retro titles is fucking extortionate and it's an absolute joke uh so yeah it is it's nice to go back to a period of time when they were seen as like the cool kids on the block as opposed to the the, the shop that no one particularly likes anymore right we're about to play windjammers with kylie minogue and the right honorable john major mp commentating beside me wearing nothing but his bandana is dave perry dave give kylie and john some tips for this well, the, the biggest tip I can give is the special move. There's a special move the guys can do when, just before the frisbee gets them, they hit the A button, they'll flick the frisbee up into the air, they can charge up then, when it comes down, they'll do an extra powerful shot. Well, let's get back to wind gemmers, and while Dominic Diamond can't hear you over his towel, Dave Perry is only wearing his bandana. Well, he's only wearing bandana. We don't know how many bandanas and where they're positioned. He could have made himself a little flappy loincloth. He, he could have done. I only assume he's got the one on his head because there was no plural. He just said he's only wearing his bandana. He's wearing nothing but his bandana. Yeah, but we know Dom has a weak spot when it comes to singular and plurals by the virtue of fighters. Well, Dave Perry's also stumbling over his words, something fierce here. He's not Brad Burton levels of stumbling over his words that we get next week, but crikey, he's not really getting his words out this one. To the point where all Dom has to do is stare at the camera. He doesn't need to do any other hijinks this time. Dave's doing all the legwork for him. It's remarkable to see that this show just didn't do second takes. 
They were just like, nope, that's it. We did it in one. Don't need to do this again. Move on to the next thing. Well, interestingly, they did do second takes for some things, but they just didn't seem to do second takes when it involved Dave Perry. Well, yeah, it's just, it's so weird that they don't, we've seen this a lot throughout the four series of Games Master that we've done. It's just like, there's your one take, move on. You stumble over your words, doesn't matter. Well, we, we, the kids at home get it. Oh, hang on. The boy won that challenge. No, we're going to keep doing this until the girl wins. Yeah. Like now it would be such more of a polished show. I think John Major is lucky to do as well as he does in this challenge because I think Kylie hands him a fair number of these points. Kylie impersonator is young enough that she would have had more exposure to video games than John Major impersonator, who is very accurate to the actual John Major, who probably doesn't even know what a Nintendo is. It does start very sedate. It is a very gentle, let's play in the afternoon in the park. I'll toss you the frisbee, you toss it back. And the only reason John scores some points first is because Kylie biffs. Yeah, she drops it. Yeah, she biffs it and she drops it in two points. But that's the red flag to the bull because from that point on, she is just going for it. And boom, trick shot, five points. John was all over the shop towards the end of that to like for her to get those five points he was just running around all over the place makes me think that he doesn't know which character he actually is and also you say that you know Kylie's probably got a bit more experience playing games she was probably practicing during the day a lot more than john was i would wager this might be the first time john's actually picked it up i mean john was probably doing the crossword exactly yeah because he's not there to play the games he's just there to be a john major impersonator He's not a games journalist. <laughs> He's a John Major impersonator. <laughs> and is probably a marketing manager. Uh, oh, he... yeah, he really probably is, isn't he? Exactly. Mm, he's got that look about him. Him and Dave Perry were having so many conversations about marketing and management. Not a journalist, I'm a marketing manager. And we see it again in the second set. It's just a lot of John throwing it down the middle. And it only gets points because Kylie accidentally moves out of the way. And it's Dominic's line of just, just when you think it's not possible, the Tories do it again. Oh, Dom, if only you knew, mate. Yeah, hindsight 2020 and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But Kylie finishes it up with a five-pointer, then a three-pointer. She takes the second round. She takes both rounds and the golden joystick. Not the best Windjammer playing we could have seen, but it was fun enough and the game looked good. And, you know, they at least knew how to throw the disc and we got a couple of special moves. Yeah. And some bouncing and different point scoring and stuff. Yeah, it was made up by Kylie, really. Kylie was the, the star of this segment. And it's it's just fun to see win jammers. Now, uh, Kylie, you, you took the first set, but uh, were you worried at that point? No, I knew I could do it. Yeah, and we're very pleased you did, because, Mr Major, you weren't terribly popular with that crowd. It's just uh, midterm unpopularity, that's all. Uh, I think that's a, that's a polite way of saying it. He's got a line, Luke. He's going to use it. <laughs> Even if it lands about as well as well, to be honest, most of his term as prime minister. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the crowd responds to it fairly well. They, they give him the booze that they sort of that he's after there. Uh, I, I would just, I, I wonder if a lot of those kids there had no idea who 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 he was supposed to be impersonating. He's boring. We'll boo him. <laughs> yeah. But I did like it that as they're herded off, Kylie with her golden joystick, the goblins don't just have their normal pitchforks; they've got buckets and spades on the end of them. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to miss the goblins. Same. First up, the game that launched a thousand complaints from dull Salvation Army blokes, Cannon Fodder on the Mega Drive. Cannon Fodder on the Mega Drive is probably one of the best games this year. It has happened playing it for an absolute age. It's brilliant. It's got loads of bullets in, loads of blood in, and I'm going to say it again, it's got guns in it. You get 72 missions of uh, overhead view battling with military-style tactics, including uh, driving cars and flying airplanes, 
and helicopters. And there's loads to do. It's um, very cute, also very violent in a sort of cutesy way, and uh, highly tactical and strategic. If you're using a joypad, it's actually all very difficult and annoying to play. With a mouse, it's an addictive, entertaining, and fast-paced shoot-em-up with more than a hint of strategy. Dominic's opening line here, the game that launched a thousand complaints from dull Salvation Army blokes, which we actually talked about when Cannon Fodder was first reviewed back on the Amiga. I think it's Series 2. I mean, there isn't much more we can say about Cannon Fodder that we didn't say previously on the Amiga review. Realistically, it's kind of the same review that they give here. Adrian Price unsurprisingly loves the game, says one of the best games of the year, and he'll say it again, it's got guns in it. Yeah, gun mad Adrian. Absolutely, of course he was going to dig this. Tim says there are 72 missions, loads to do, cute and violent and highly tactical and strategic. Frank is positive too, does say it's a nightmare to play with the joypad. I entirely agree with that one. This is a game you need the mouse for, the Mega Mouse or the Amiga Mouse, depending on what platform you're playing it on. It's kind of shit with a joypad. Yeah, completely agree. It's the same thing. Like I didn't realize how much easier Megalomania was to play with a mouse than uh, than the joypad. And it's the same thing with Cannon Fodder. Still, 88%. Not bad. Not bad at all. And now showing that the 3DO is the console for startlingly original brand new games, Super Street Fighter 2. Here's a surprise. Uh, 3DO's been out for a year, and there's finally a brilliant game for it. If they'd released Super Street Fighter X on 3DO the day it was released, um, 3DO would have been installed worldwide. Compared to the coin-op, this is really, really good. The graphics are spot on, the music is brilliant, and it all plays with a rather jolly game of Street Fighter. All the super special moves and finishing combos are in here, and basically, if you love Street Fighter, then you will get off on this. The only um, bugbear I have is with the 3DO joypad itself, which is impossible to get to grips with, and pulling off fireballs and dragon punches is much harder than, say, on the SNES joypad. So, somebody bring out a nice uh, joypad or joystick for the 3DO. Oh, here's an original game. Yeah, I, I, I feel like Dom's really starting to sour on the 3DO a little bit now. Like, he was so full of beans about it when it first came out and we first started Series 4, but we're now getting towards the tail end of Series 4, and he's starting to get a bit tired of the lack of original games on the machine and he clearly isn't into beat-em-ups either so super street fighter 2 on the 3do isn't going to be up his alley despite the fact that this is the best port of super street fighter 2 that you could get on the home consoles most street fighter 2 versions on 16-bit or above look good and this looks good it's the sound here because it's got the cd quality sound where they basically just they rip the audio straight from the arcade so it sounds as good as the arcade interesting they don't mention the loading times which of course for the 3do they were going to be a bit of an issue. Maybe it's just because that was every game, which is par for the course at this point. Yeah, but I don't think that stopped people complaining about it. People always used to bitch about loading times. I mean, even now a little bit, but we've kind of got over the, the hump of optical media loading now. It's only when it gets excessive that people really bring it up. I can understand why 3DO or not, he might have a bit of a hump with Street Fighter 2 because this is the fifth Street Fighter 2 game to be released. Yeah, and, and like it is... Let's be honest here, Street Fighter 2. Yeah, it's got new characters. Yeah, it may have like the new special moves and things like that. But strip that all back, it's Street Fighter 2 again. Street Fighter 2, like we had the home release of that on the SNES at the start of Series 2. Here we are at the end of Series 4, and we're still talking about Street Fighter 2. So I can completely understand why Dominic Diamond and the rest of the Games Master team would be like, yeah, seen that, mate. I'm ready for ready for something new now. Obviously, we're seeing the 3DO version here. It was ported to its competitors, the PlayStation and the Saturn, also became part of the Street Fighter collection, also appeared on the Dreamcast, 
also appeared on the PS3 and Xbox 360 as Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix with new graphics done by the artists behind the comic book series that was being published at the time. And that's not all, because Luke, I've got a cartridge for my Nintendo Switch called Ultra Street Fighter 2, which, you guessed it, it's another bloody port of Street Fighter 2. Oh, yeah. This game will not die. It will not, but a friend of mine does get Super Street Fighter 2 on the Mega Drive around this period of time, and I was like... I was so into Street Fighter 2 anyway, because I had Special Champ Edition, and me and my brother loved playing that. And the idea of having four new characters and they were brand new characters as well these weren't just the bosses being added in these were four brand new characters me and my friends just being obsessed with Fei long and thinking he was the coolest dude he wasn't though was he well i mean uh, yeah in hindsight being 2020 there's a reason why he's not in the movie because uh, steven d'souza said he was clearly a bruce lee ripoff and i wasn't putting a bruce lee ripoff in my movie uh frank says that you know it's Nice to finally have a brilliant fighting game for the 3DO. If they'd released this at launch, it would have been a big success worldwide. I don't think he's wrong. Adrian says that compared to the coin-op, it's really good. The graphics and music are spot on. All the specials and finishes are in there. Tim says the only issue is the 3DO controller. It's a lot harder to pull off moves than the SNES version, so someone bring out a nice fight pad or stick for the 3DO. I mean, they did. We've talked about it on this very podcast, but it wasn't enough. But 90%. That's not bad. It's a really good score for a game that is, you know, quite old at this point and people have sort of gone around the houses with it. Yeah, it's a good score. Now, for home reviewers amongst you, the latest addition to the game line is PC game Big Red Adventure. To download your demo of Big Red Adventure, connect your modem to 081-558-8937. Apart from the cost of the call to London, the service is free, but do remember to get permission from whoever pays the bills. Well, this is a packed episode, but that doesn't mean we can't plug the latest demo that you can get from the Games Master line, Big Red Adventure. Oh, this is a lovely adventure game i remember this being advertised around the time came out 95 for ms dos was actually released on the amiga in 1997 wow yeah it it stuck around for a while it was actually a sequel it was a sequel to a game called nippon safes inc which had been kind of a so-so hit around europe whilst its predecessor had featured pixel art this game went the route of scanning hand-drawn animation, so computer-enhanced cell animation, essentially. Took advantage of SVGA graphics. And, I mean, it looks like a good game. It does look very, very nice, definitely in that LucasArts mould. I'd forgotten about it until it appeared on this programme. But then mm. as soon as I saw it, I'm like, I remember Big Red Adventure. Well, let's get into our celebrity challenge our second celebrity challenge what are we playing games master my second challenge is on the four-player super nintendo game smash tennis playing in the glorious sunshine of the beach level our two teams have only one match to secure victory so they'll have to watch those back ends new balls please it's a game that games master as a tv show loved so much that back in episode one they reviewed it despite the fact that it had been out for over a year at that point and again it's just playing into that beach theme that we had with wind jammers and we got it here because they're playing on the glorious beach sunshine here it's a tag team match and we're only just playing two sets basically to get one victory to play a tag team match we ideally need four challengers well we've got five right not quite working so we've got four and one for moral support yeah one there to kind of like just provide some backup just in case anyone can't do it. Help them with their taxes. <laughs> yeah, maybe. At least he won't get screwed over this time. And here to play this, please welcome the biggest teen sensations in the history of Britain, Fake That! Okay, now I'll point out in case take that's lawyers are watching that you are actually Fake That. Of course, unlike 
our other celebrity guests on the show, who are all real, especially Kylie. Um, do you um, genuinely get mistaken for take that when you're around, hanging around? When we're all together like this, we do all yeah. the time. Yeah. So, so you've been mobbed on occasion? Yes, yeah. <laughs> more than once. I bet the money side of it, do you make as much money as, as take that? A thrashing, yeah. 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 <laughs> but you're obviously getting well paid for coming on Games Master. So we take that are making their second appearance on Games Master after playing Dino Blaster back. Wait, hang on a tick. That's not the real take that. This is pretty much the only time where they admit that this is a celebrity impersonator. And it's because they're worried that take that's lawyers will get involved. Yeah, Channel 4's lawyers went, okay, the John Major and Kylie thing we can probably get away with, but take that is a copyrighted name. Mm. We've got to be careful. So make sure you introduce them as fake that. Uh, have you ever been to see like impersonation bands? I mean, yeah, I've actually been to see a number of tribute acts. I've seen uh, the Bootleg Beatles a couple of times. I've seen various Pink Floyd tribute acts. And I've seen, I guess, not impersonators, but playing the music of, of people like the Grateful Dead and stuff like that. I've seen less bands where they dress up as the bands they're playing, like Australian Pink Floyd, Brit Floyd, and so on and so forth. They will have the trappings of a Pink Floyd show, so they'll have the lasers, the lights, the round screen and stuff. But the guys are just guys on the stage. And that's actually very much in the keeping with Pink Floyd because, you know, David Gilmore, throughout most of his tenure in charge of the band, was on stage in jeans and a T-shirt. The band were not the focal point. The focal point was the show. And I think the tribute bands a lot of the time carry that on. The bootleg Beatles... They, they did many costume changes, but they were also presenting kind of a chronological show. I really like Bootleg Beatles. I've seen them a handful of times. I saw them first in Cheltenham with my mum, and then we went to an outdoor show that they did, which was a bit of an odd one, because the day of the show, the crane that had been used to assemble the stage collapsed onto the stage, and so they very, very quickly had to build a new stage. Crikey. And... I think some equipment got damaged as well, so they weren't playing with their normal backlines. I think they were missing their projector. But it meant they actually played a bit more as musicians rather than just playing as the Beatles. And therefore, it, w it was a lot of fun. It was still a really good show. They did a really good job. And, uh, oh, and also I helped provide tech for a Queen tribute band at a convention. Well, that must have been fun. The most fun wasn't the Queen tribute act. They were lovely lads. They were really, really good group. They put on an amazing show. But the most fun is that after they were done, we did very delayed, mind you, our rock band karaoke event on the stage and setup that had been done for them. And the person designing that stage had basically gone, I'm making a scale version of their Wembley show. And um, we were running crazy late and we were just like, we just need to get through the requests and get at least a couple of hours in before the hotel shuts us down. And the first song actually was a Queen song. It was Hammer to, I think it was Hammer to Fall. Yeah. But I just remember it was like, uh, oh, our guitarist to, like the person that signed up to do guitar on the game had gone to bed and i was on stage and i'm like normally what i'd do with the normal show is i'd be like okay do we have any volunteers from the crowd and i'm like i just want to get this going i picked up the guitar and i know this song and it's fine and i just you know da -da -da -da, off we go and i wasn't quite prepared for the fact that there was a bass bin behind the drum riser and all these moving lights and so as soon as the guitar kicked in there dun dun I felt it and all these moving lights around me just went shoom. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is what it's like to be an actual rock star. This is incredible. So that was probably one of my favourite ever moments of running the event, but it was all because of a Queen tribute act. That's really cool. One of the bands I was a part of was a supporting act for uh, Europe's biggest Guns N' Roses tribute act. 
I can't remember what they were called now. Um, but yeah, they they asked us to be the supporting act, like the opening act for them. And it was a really good because it was like the biggest show that we had done up until that point. Actually, like really, despite our various lineups, it probably was the biggest show we ever did. It was also one of the only shows we actually got paid for. And so that also felt like a really big deal. And it was a really exciting time for us. It was awesome to be on that level of stage, which we'd never been on with that level of lights and setups and that level of crowd. It was a really, really cool experience. And playing live for them was awesome. But it was like the the, the people who were playing Guns N' Roses also felt that they that gave them the excuse to just act like arseholes oh they went full method went full method with it particularly the guy playing axel and he had various costume changes throughout the night and this and the other and he was just a complete tool and the excuse was like oh no i'm just in character and i thought no i think you're just a twat all right while we discuss further the vast amounts of money we pay our guests on this show we'll take a quick christmas break The Comet Sale starts 10 a.m. Boxing Day with extra voucher savings. You know where to come. We're DFS. And our sale starts 10 a.m. Boxing Day. First 50 customers save an extra £250 off any three-piece suite. Don't, Don't miss it at DFS. Make his Christmas even happier with Caesar. To love him like he loves you. Me. Hello, I want to speak to the yogurt. To the yo to the yogurt? Yes, the thick, creamy, fruity yoplay. Um, hang on a minute. Okay. <clears throat> Are you in? Huh? Okay. Just coming. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Fantastic new Kellogg's Banana Bubbles, the cereal that takes its emotion. That's right. 
as part of a nutritious breakfast, the crisp bubbles of real rice are made with a natural banana flavor to turn the milk into a kind of banana milkshake. So you won't know whether to use a spoon or a straw. Kellogg's new banana bubbles. Make it Christmas every day for your cat with Sheba, the recipe of love. Coming at you this Christmas Eve. That's a bit weird, isn't it? The barely contained lunacy of Don't Forget Your Toothbrush at 9 is followed by the Jack D Show at 10. Santa's little helper! Guests. Music. <laughs> mirth. I think not. At 5 past 11, they're frisky and festive in Eurotrash. Yes, that's right, my friends. A hopping mad Christmas Eve from 9 on 4. Yes, it's the Guestmaster Beat Special. Uh, we've got Fake That with us tonight. With me in the commentary box, and actually looking more like Kylie than our Kylie did, is Dave Perry. Dave, any tips for the Fake That boys on this? Well, first off, I take offence at that comment. I'm far better endowed than Kylie. But uh, the main thing with tennis games is to draw the players into the net and then play cross-court shots. You want to draw them in and play the angles. Dave Perry is providing commentary once again for us in the booth, looking more like Kylie than Kylie did. And he has this line where he's like, I'm actually more, I'm better endowed than Kylie. Is. He says while well, holding his chest, I guess. So he's saying he's got bigger man tits. I guess so. I bet that sounded better in his head. Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, you've only got one take. You don't get a second crack at that joke. And I did just want to say before we went into that ad break, I mean, Dom asks to fake that if they get mistaken for the real take that. Absolutely, they do not because they don't look anything much like these lads. I know that take that weren't exactly the most original group. But at least you could tell them apart. They all looked basically the same guy. Yeah, just wearing a different hat yeah. or wig. And then Dom just makes the awkward comment of like, oh, you, you must earn as much money as them. And they're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what, Luke? I bet they pay their taxes on it. Well, well, maybe they do. Maybe they want to get so method they also don't pay their taxes. We've got five players but four characters to choose from. That means that it's Gary is the one that's been left out of this. I mean, he literally can't be screwed over this time. He can either win or lose. He is just the Omni Barlow. So it's Howard and Robbie versus Jason and Mark. And this game can be summed up in two words. Double fault. It's everyone's fault but Gary's. In an episode that is full of fake celebrities, I would like to say that this is the worst celebrity challenge, but it isn't. It is, however, a very close second because, for the most part, this match is won by failing slightly less than the other team. Yeah, pretty much. I, I would say like the first set, I mean, I've, I was about to say it's exciting, but I think it's more just like they sort of fumble their way through it because Howard and Robbie go 40 love up and yet somehow Jason and Mark win and they win by, you know, through the advantage and everything. They make this a sterling comeback. But I think it's less of like they made a great comeback to get the win and less and more Howard and Robbie just didn't do very well. I'm not sure if they chose this game because Dom loves it and there's a beach level. But man, the actual take that were better at Bomberman. I think so, yeah. And I think it is very much a case of Dom likes this game and it's a beach game. So it makes sense for us to do it on this episode. And it says a lot for how bad this challenge is that Dom and Dave, they don't really talk much about the challenge. They're talking more about who the guy with a headband is at the side of the court. And Dom thinks it's Dave. And like it, it is, it's not great action because it's either an ace or it's a double fault or it's a net 
and it's just there's never really a rally getting going it's probably the worst tennis challenge that we've had thus far on the show that's saying something yeah because we've had some bad ones in the past and this one doesn't even have the best graphics you will ever see it's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life as i said like double fault is the way to sum this up and it's a double fault that ends it off as well jason and mark win not much to say about the games playing though. Jason and Mark, you were the winners. Talk us through it. What were some of your strengths then? Well, uh, I think it was just team effort. We, you know, we were in there doing the business and we won. I think, yeah, the words double and fault uh, <laughs> soon became apparent. And uh, let's pass the mic back to, to Gary for a final summing up. Gary, an impartial overview of it. Well, I think under my direction, they're always winners. <laughs> so they pass it to Gary for the final word. And he says that under his guidance, they're always winners. Hashtag tax joke. Like, and it's it's so you mentioned now uh, John Major wasn't even trying with the voice either. Whoever it was that was playing Jason or Mark, bearing in mind that take that quite famously from Manchester comes in and he's a proper scouse lad as well. Yeah, we did all right with the tennis. You know, actually it was pretty good. It's like, come on, mate. You're not even that far from Manchester. At least put a bit of effort into the accent. Maybe he thought he was auditioning for the Beatles tribute act. Would have fit in better, maybe. But yeah, like they just got their win via double faults. So not much to say, to be honest. But I did like, as they were leaving, the goblins literally stabbed them their way out. Like, at the pitchfork, Sam just stabs them up to get off the set. Yeah, the goblins were like, we could have played that game better, you fuckers. Who's first to gobble the turkey? Games Master, I've heard that you can change the track on Checkered Flag on the Jaguar. Please enlighten me. No. However, I will be able to darken your view of the entire game. Go to the option screen and highlight the weather option. Now, press the following on the numeric joypad. Eight, four, seven, three. This will give you a new option to allow you to race all the tracks at night. That's magic, Games Master. Our first one here on the consultation zone is a very odd one, which is just, it's just how to put checkered flag on the Jaguar into dark mode. Yeah, because the kid says, oh, like, oh, there's a way to change the track in checkered flag, and Games Master's like, well, no, but, you know, how about we just make it nighttime? Does that, will that do? Also, return of some diamondisms and innuendo because Games Master opening this up with, who's first to gobble the turkey? I'm making a cock joke. <laughs> it's very nice to have that as well. Also thematic because it is the Christmas episode. It's times like this when I really miss Auntie Marisha. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure Games Master does as well. But you go to the options, go to weather, press 8473 on the number pad, which is such a weird thing to be asked to do on a console. And the kid thinks that's magic. And he probably thinks that's magic because that's not actually an answer to the question that he asked. Games Master, my mate says that there's a secret bonus area on Millstone Mayhem level of Donkey Kong Country where he's collected up to 50 bananas. Is he lying? The bonus level you want is actually on the Reptile Rumble level. Get to the second barrel with DK on, jump into the barrel nearby, and you'll be fired all the way to the secret bonus level with more bananas than saviors. That's enough monkey business for now. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Games Master. Speaking of that, I think our second kid uh, looking for the hint on Donkey Kong Country was told, you know, the script was ask where the hidden areas on Millstone Mayhem. And then when it got round to the actual Games Master bit of it, they were like, oh, no, the, the secret area is in a different level. We'll just have Games Master correct the kid and say, oh, no, it's actually on the Reptile Rumble level. I actually like it. It may have been a kind of, well, we need to fix this somehow. But... 
it kind of built up the idea the games master knows everything. And it's like, oh, well, there is a there is a hidden area, but it's not on that level, silly boy. It's this level. I know this because I'm the games master and you are a small pleb. But you know, it's a fun little one, basically, of just how to get the extra 50 bananas and stuff. I'm I'm surprised there hasn't been more of this on the consultation zone because there's so many hidden areas in Donkey Kong Country. But nice to see DKC get some representation towards the end of this series. Oddly, and I don't know if it's because of Games Master or just because I remember it from having the game the first time around. When I did my recent replay of Donkey Kong Country, this is the hidden area, Bucky areas, that I just found immediately because I was just like, oh, wait, I remember if I jump up here and go over here, boom, 50 bananas. Yeah. It's amazing how much of that becomes like muscle memory. Like I've had that recently where I've been playing Castlevania Symphony of the Nights. And there've been so many times where I've just like been playing it through and not really realizing what I was doing. I remember playing Resident Evil 2 once and I was just doing it through muscle memory and I was chatting with someone. I was chatting with an, uh, a girlfriend of mine at the time. I was chatting with her so much, not really concentrating on what I was doing. I got to a period on Resident Evil 2 and I suddenly was like, oh, I don't know what I'm meant to do next. But because I also hadn't been paying attention, I had no idea where I'd, where I'd been and what I'd picked up or what I'd done in the game. And I was like, oh no, my muscle memory has stopped and now I don't know what to do next. See, for me, just this last week, Quake Remaster dropped for a number of different platforms and it also came on the Microsoft Game Pass. And I think it was last week on a lunch break because I was working from home and I was just like, oh, I'll just grab it and install it and boot it up and see how it runs. And, you know... It looks exactly like you'd expect Quake to do, just at a higher resolution. And I started playing the first level. And I, I, you want to talk about muscle memory, it was a case of, ah, okay, here, 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 there's a bridge. I go down in the water, I walk along the water, and boom, power up, boom. Then, and I just did all of that without even thinking. Because around this time, when Quake comes out in like 95, 96, it's all up here. Oh, man. I played that game so much. And it was really, really, I want to go back and play it more because, man, it's so much fun. I'd forgotten how much fun Quake was. It's such a great game. Like, that is something that I'm going to try and install at some point because I remember my brother arguing with me because I loved Doom and my brother telling me how much better Quake was. For, you know, various different reasons, you know, it's an actual 3D game. It's not this sort of 2D thing. But I've got a lot of that memory for Quake as well. And I think that if I booted it up, I would have that muscle memory of where all the secret areas are in that first level. And there's something about the sound of it as well. And you just know exactly where the the monsters are. I'd forgotten quite how many dogs you kill in it. There's a lot more of those than I remember. And they're not even proper zombie dogs. So that's a little sad. Games Master, can I get a level select for Earthworm Jim on the Mega Drive? You're having trouble with your little worm, are you? Try this. Pause the game and enter this combination of presses. A and left together, then release. B, B, A. A and right together, and release. Lastly, B, B, A. Now unpause the game and the programmers appear, followed by a secret cheat menu which features a level select and a couple of other interesting devices for bringing new life to your little Jimmy. I love you, Games Master. And our final hint is on Earthworm Jim, and it features that wonderful shiny sense of humour, which is that when you activate the level select code, it doesn't just you know give you the level select option. It brings up the whole shiny team as a little image to let congratulate you on putting the inputs in correctly. Although I do want to point out that you can tell Patrick Moore wasn't necessarily sure who he was addressing because he throws out some innuendo here that I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have done if he knew he was addressing a small girl. Yeah, I've written here. You could tell they thought he was going to be talking to a boy because he's 
having trouble with her little worm. Lots of penis jokes in this consultation zone. It's a bit of a return to form for them. To be honest, of any episode to do it, this is the one because Dom is wearing a towel, Dave is wearing a bandana, or possibly bandanas because of aforementioned issues with plurals. So why not? Why not bring back the joystick jokes? But let's get into our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Our final challenge for this Yuletide Summer Spectacular is a rather special one. The virtual reality game Buggy Ball. Our superstar challengers must compete, along with two additional computer players, as they attempt to score points by knocking the beach ball out of the pitch as they bash it mercilessly with their buggy. Good luck and Merry Christmas. That's basically Rocket League, isn't it? It is. It's Rocket League, but with the ball from the Amiga logo. This is a VR thing as well. So you've got these huge VR headsets they're going to be putting on. We're going to see them from both perspectives. They do say that they, uh, there is a computer-controlled car in this. It's not just going to be the one-on-one thing. And we'll get into it, but that computer-controlled car will be the downfall of this challenge. Yeah, well, this is our return to Games Master for the virtuality system, although I believe the first appearance of the SD2000 unit, which is what this game was being played on. It was a turbocharged game of skill for one to four players, an exciting, fast-moving, action-packed game of skill. Test your nerves to the full as you get behind the wheel of any one of four hot hatches and get revved up and ready for the thrills of buggy ball. Each time you score, the ball resets in the middle of the arena for continuous action-packed fun. There's huge excitement in all four levels of the game. Select easy and you're in for a brief tutorial about the controls. Hmm, Our contestants could have done with that. Followed by an all-action match. Medium and hard test your skills even further with ever-increasing pace. Then take it right to the edge with crazy mode. Score points with goals and ramming your opposition. Look out for some surprising stunt bonuses. There are some great wheels to choose from in all levels, including four-wheel drive jeeps, a dune buggy, a bulldozer, or a mad police car. I'm pretty sure that uh, celebrities playing this game have got the bulldozers in terms of the way they are trying to control it. It's worth pointing out that Cybermind UK purchased the intellectual property of virtuality in 1997 when virtuality went bankrupt. And in March 2004, Arcadian Virtual Reality acquired the assets of Cybermind's virtual reality business, one would presume also as part of a bankruptcy settlement. Well, as you may have guessed by now, tonight's final two guests are also celebrity guests. Yes, they are. Please welcome Michael Jackson and Macaulay Culkin. Okay. All right, Michael, how's the wife? She's fine, thanks. Good. And now we're going to hear the pitter-patter of tiny feet around Neverland? If I get back fast enough, maybe. All right, then. Thank you, Michael. Macaulay. Tell me, what does a young, spoiled, cute-looking American snot-nosed, lovely little brat like you do with all that money? I'll probably spend it on sweets that'll rub my mind and my teeth. Yeah. Uh, but here are our final celebrities. Um, it's very much a joke of its time. It has not aged well. It wasn't that good at the time, really. Yeah, Michael Jackson and Macaulay Culkin. And like, there's a lot of, you know, how's the wife? Will we see some babies at Neverland? Culkin, with his British accent, buying sweets to rot the teeth. It was Dominic Diamond. The bit that made me laugh on this, aside from, you know, the the Jackson and Culkin stuff, is when he just essentially admits they're not celebrities. You know, the the, the jigs up. Yeah, exactly. We've been rumbled. But, yeah, the, um... What's the expression you use? This is aged like a fine... This is aged like a fine murder. Yeah, this really has. Yeah. Ooh, this is edgy Games Master at its yeah. edgiest. And uh, to be honest, the guy playing Michael Jackson probably took the booking because he knew he wasn't going to be getting many for quite a while because Jackson was not going to be a popular figure for a good few years and really would never recover. 
Culkin's career was kind of starting on the downward spiral a bit. He was past the peak. Yeah, there's only so much you can be the cute kid from home alone because, like, and they try it for a few years after this. But yeah, like with Michael Jackson, we're not going to get the, rena- the the renaissance of Jackson until that will be like 95, 96 with Earth Song. Yeah, and with Culkin at this point, he'd actually taken a break from acting. He got done with his last brace of films, which was like Page Master, Richie Rich, Getting Even with Dad, and then was just like, that's it. I'm I'm on a break. Well, we mentioned Mara Wilson at the start of this episode. And essentially, he kind of Mara Wilson's himself. You are only a cute kid for so long, and then you stop being the cute kid, and we've got nothing else for you. Is Hollywood like Highlander, to go back to a movie we discussed a little while ago? There can only be one. Culkin's out, Mara's in, and she gets her moment in the sun. Yeah, she's the new Culkin. Now, while Michael and Macaulay are getting into their virtual reality chambers, it gives me a second to point out, we've had lots of people phoning up during the show casting doubt on the trueness of some of our celebrities tonight. Well, I can say, yes, you are correct, that Dave Perry is a Dave Perry imitator. In fact, very lifelike, and he even sounds the same. You've done a great job tonight. Um, but I'd like you to come clean now and give Michael and Macaulay some tips on this game. Um, well, it's um, a computer game, and uh, um, uh, I don't know anything about this is the better, This is better so. than the real Dave Perry, actually, I think. <laughs> No, well, actually, we've given Michael and McCauley the slower, heavier cars in this. And although they won't be able to catch their computer, their computer counterparts, they will be able to knock them out of the way far more easily. So aggression could be the key to winning this challenge. I love Dom's like, line of like, we've been having phone calls throughout this broadcast of people questioning whether these are real celebrities, as if this is a live show. And he's like, yes, I can confirm. This is not the real Dave Perry. Yeah, very lifelike and even sounds the same. But he needs to come clean and advise these two on the game. I do appreciate Dave's gambit of going, I don't know anything about video games. I don't know know what I'm saying. And then he actually does his job and tells them some advice, which doesn't help them in the slightest. It really doesn't because this challenge, this is a first for us, I think, on on Under Consultation in Games Master. The challenge gets abandoned. Because the challenge is most balls out of the park wins. There's Michael, there's Macaulay, and there's two computer opponents. Macaulay is a moose, Jacko's an elephant. And yeah, they're chasing the Amiga logo ball. And they're also getting their asses handed to them by a CPU-controlled red car. And the red car scores three points in the row. And that's when Games Master just appears and goes, no, God, yeah, stop. This is bad. It, it's, it's difficult to watch as well because like Dave Perry is screaming at them to use the turbo thing, which they probably can't hear because of the massive headsets that they've got on. And it's just like, you need to use the turbo boost. It's the only way you're going to catch up with these cars. It doesn't happen for them. The red keeps scoring and then crackle of thunder, Games Master comes up and says, Stop, stop. I'm sorry. I simply can't tolerate games playing of this standard. <sighs> Let's have a feature instead. And yeah, we, uh, man, we have, we've got to get into a feature instead. Not good, that was. Although I think for the first time in a while, I'm not that disappointed about getting another feature because this is a very important feature, Luke. American audiences are bracing themselves this week as Street Fighter the movie joins the annual beat-em-up between the big Christmas hits. Jean-Claude Van Damme takes the lead as Colonel Gal battling against the naughty schemes of Bison, played by Raoul Julia, in his last screen role. Most of the original characters from the game have made it on the screen with varying degrees of success. could most generously be described as straightforward, but with plenty of action. Let's go. 
and Jean-Claude's trademark classy dialogue. I'm going to kick Bison's ass. I don't think so. But of course, the most important thing about the film is that official fit word Kylie Minogue is in it. We can all take a peek at her when the movie opens in the States on Friday and over here in mid-1995. It certainly is. All the characters have made it with varying degrees of success. Street Fighter, the movie, is out in the US in you know in about a week or so's time because they did it for a big Christmas release. We won't get it until mid-1995. I've got a lot of love for this movie. I've written about this movie a hell of a lot. I've interviewed many of the people that worked on this. I have hosted screenings of this movie. I have done Q&As for this film. I have got a lot of love for Street Fighter the movie. And you will be hosting at least one more podcast about it in about, ooh, 30 backers time. Yeah, if, if we ever get to that goal again and we actually do have the time to be able to do that podcast in the way that we want to do it... Uh, we can dive more into Street Fighter the movie, but like it is uh, basically bare bones of this. If you haven't heard us talk about it previously in the past or you haven't read the book that I wrote, if you've ever watched Street Fighter the movie and thought, man, this feels more like G.I. Joe than it does Street Fighter. That's because it's a G.I. Joe movie and not a Street Fighter movie, uh, which is like as soon as I found that out, I was like, oh, wow, a lot of this now adds up. Everything now is like as soon as that as soon as that penny drops, you're like, Everything is now falling into place, and I totally get why the film is this way. Some of the crossover you get with G.I. Joe as a toy line is a really weird thing, because obviously there were Street Fighter characters in the G.I. Joe form factor, the little three-inch figure, the multi-joints. That's why this film exists. But also Sergeant Slaughter, the wrestler. Yeah, because he was in the G.I. Joe cartoon series. Yeah, it's just so weird how G.I. Joe's just like, yeah, we can wedge that in there. Yeah. And in, in fact, when we finally got a G.I. Joe movie... Didn't we also get a tie into the mummy? Brendan Fraser shows up for a cameo. Yeah, playing, I think it's meant to be the son or grandson yeah. of his character from the mummy. Yeah, like it is just Capcom struck a deal with Hasbro to make G.I. Joe figures of Street Fighter characters. And they were like, well, then we'll make a film to promote not the game, those action figures and the the toy sets and everything. She's like, oh, right. That's why they're on a boat at the end of the movie. That's why there's loads of cars and everything like that. Uh, the other thing as well with Street Fighter is that it is a comedy. It's in te- it's made to be a funny movie, and that's probably its biggest failure is that it's not funny. But I, I've got I've got so much you know love and adoration for it. It was I won't say a labor of love, but I think Stephen D'Souza, who wrote and directed the movie, had a lot of passion for it, and he is very passionate about defending the choices that he made on the movie as well. I don't think it's a good movie. I think it's actually quite a bad movie. But I think part of that is I think it came too late. If this movie had been released in 1986, never mind the Street Fighter time, it would have probably been received much more fondly, at the, much more warmly at the time. And it would be looked back on a lot more fondly because this feels like a 1980s movie 10 years removed. Yeah, particularly with Van Damme in the lead role as well. And I think that comes from the fact that D'Souza. D'Souza is, you know, he's an 80s action writer. There's actually a lot of talent for varying different definitions of talent in this movie. Obviously, Van Damme is in there and his acting range is limited to to be generous. But Rao Julia, last film role for the dude. Yeah. And that that's absolutely heartbreaking that this is not that this is how his career ended, but that you can see how ill he was during the filming. And we talked before about how the costume didn't fit him because he'd lost so much weight and stuff like that. Yeah, he was so gaunt. Like they had to like his illness really threw this film's production 
out of whack because they were supposed to do all of his dialogue scenes first so they could spend the time rehearsing all the fighting scenes to do in the second half of the production. But when he showed up, and as you say, the costume didn't fit him or anything, had to flip that round, do all of the action first, which meant that none of the actors had done any of the training and practice for the action sequences, which is why some of the action sequences aren't all that good. So they, they had to do dialogue seconds. Is that why Blanca looks so crap? Uh, no, I think he was just always going to look that crap. Also, this film does give us official fit bird, Kylie Minogue, who we saw just earlier beating John Major. We did indeed, yeah. Cast on an airplane. Uh, well, because they, they, they were literally just about to start production and Cammy was not cast in the movie. And Stephen D'Souza read the in-flight magazine on the way to Australia, saw Kylie Minogue's face on the front cover and was like, she'll do. Met with her the following day and then she was cast. Australia is part of the British Empire. Close enough. Get those tax breaks for casting a certain amount of Australians in the film. I like how this this feature tries to like make it feel connected to Street Fighter by like interspersing Street Fighter footage with it. It kind of does the opposite. It highlights how far removed a lot of the characters are from their <laughs> computer game counterparts. Yeah, a little it's just bit. like, oh yes, there's Guile and there's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. Oh look, here's uh, Ryu and there's Byron Mann. And there's M. Bison and... There's Gomez. Byron Mann, uh, who um, he didn't play the games like a lot of the actors on the set. He didn't play the games. He said the only Street Fighter game he played was Street Fighter the movie, the game. Uh, he played it on the arcades when he was in Thailand once. And he played as himself and he got pickpocketed while he played the game. And that was the last time he played a video game. Anyway, I thought it was cool to have a Street Fighter the movie feature because, you know, by the time we get to Series 5, the film will have been out and they probably won't be talking about it much outside of it wasn't very good. Uh, so it's kind of, it cool that we got to see it here before the film does hit our shores. I mean, we get previews for a number of films uh, over the next couple of weeks, many of which are built up quite a bit. And I would argue only one of which actually delivered. 100%. <laughs> For the Games Master Beach Special, we're just settling down for a spot of traditional Christmas dinner. After that, we're going to go and tell kids everywhere there is no Father Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, dudes. We round things off on this episode with a lovely Christmas dinner. Like the goblins are there, Dom's at the head of the table, and the little bastard right at the end here, half past six on Channel 4, he's off to tell kids there's no Santa Claus. You little prick, Dom. I love the goblins smashing up the presents. They were they, they were just like literally wailing on these gaudily decorated boxes. And yeah, when he got to the Santa line, I'm like, Mate, Macaulay's just over there, you dick. Yeah, man, you can't be saying things like that on TV. Not at half past six. I mean, the Take That tribute band, we're not sure of their general IQ. They might not know either. Well, then that's going to wrap it up for this Christmas special of Games Master, the 1994 Christmas edition. Ash, what did you make of it? Um, It's not as good as last year's Christmas special. No, I love the celebrity celebrity gimmick. I love the fact it was full of fake celebrities. I love that we got to see Windjammers. Smash Tennis could have been great if they got people that actually played it because Smash Tennis is a great game. I'd have rather seen a Bomberman Redux. They could have done it. We had Bomberman the other week. They could have done it. It's just there's not there's not a beach level on Bomberman, I guess. Mm, I suppose. I, know, I was about to say about the car challenge, but it was beach buggy. Yeah. So they really did hammer home that gimmick. Because, yeah, once again, we're in a week where the challenge is not so great. Windjammers being head and shoulders the best challenge because... They actually played it to completion 
And even if only rudimentary knew how to throw the frisbee, both John Major and Kylie knew how to play the game enough to make it entertaining. Uh, the reviews were great. Loved seeing the reviews. Consultation Zone was funny because, hey, we got some innuendo back and some of it was grossly inappropriate. Having Dom and Dave walking around in towels and shorts was weird, but also funny. Yeah, they sort of tied themselves into the gimmick a little bit too much because they thought well, rather than do a Christmas special, we'll do a summer special at Christmas. So we have to have these beach themed games. And I think that kind of hampers some of the choices that they can then make. And it's, you know, that's that's fine, really, because they've got like we saw this last year with the um, the Panto special. We didn't get great games playing then either. And it, for this one, it's not really meant to be about the games playing. It's meant to just be about the, the funniness that we have got people impersonating celebrities playing games. Huck, huck, huck. For me, like, but the, the two features that we got here, the, the Christmas shopping and the Street Fighter feature, really like lifted this up for me and made it like a, a totally worthwhile watching. As I said, though, in the three Christmas specials that we've had, this is my third favorite one, I think. I would say, yeah, I'm with you. My big highlight was the news item, the Christmas shopping. Yeah. And part of it was because it was just different. It was nice to see Dom actually out and about, not just a voiceover over the news items. I mean, obviously, he's been to various features and been on various locations. But because this was London and because this was HMV and because this was the beginnings of Computer Exchange, it felt much more relatable than seeing him in Lucasfilm. Exactly, yeah. And the goblins, taking the goblins with him. That was a massive thing. I wish they'd done more of that. I wish they'd done more of that as well. And I will see over the next few weeks, more of Dom out and about. We get like two set visits for him, like going to two various different films. And that really feels like what Games Master is going to become in five and six. And so that's really cool. Like that's seeing your, like the next stages of the evolution of this TV show. So that's also really cool. I have a couple of thoughts regarding the changes in Games Master, but I'll probably save that for the end of season wrap up. I felt that this was a fun and worthwhile episode, much as the last Christmas episode was. Again, not because it's full of great games playing, but because of the spectacle. And yeah, the goblins running riot around computer exchange and HMV, Games Master making highly inappropriate comments in the consultation zone. Honestly, the biggest sour note is probably the Jackson Culkin thing, actually, for me, because I'm just like, guys, it was questionable at the time. In hindsight, it's being edgy for the sake of being edgy. Yeah, it's it's edgelord behavior. It is a little bit. Yeah, didn't didn't need it. Score wise, I I think I'm mid to low 80s. I think I think I'm thinking about 84 is where I was currently sat. I was at 85. Yeah. I was just like, I was like 85. Purely for the news and features. I'll be honest, without Jackson and Culkin, if we'd just gone straight into the Street Fighter, I mean, don't get me wrong, interrupting a challenge because it's so bad, that's a plus because that's funny. Yeah. But if we'd left out that third challenge and just gone straight into the Street Fighter feature, I might have actually been at 90. Mm. Because it's just like, well, the take that challenge was a bit shit. But hey, Street Fighter. But I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You will rule. You can find us on social media. We're 
at underconsolepod on Twitter, at under.console on Instagram, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat a bit with us in real time, chat with other fans of Under Consultation, Games Master, gaming and pop culture in general, you can do so on our Discord, details of which can be found in our show notes or on social media. And you can support this podcast monetarily over on patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, which is this show format for about other shows from the 90s, like Raggy Dolls and various other things we've done recently. And you'll also get access to Under Console Nation, our monthly community show. At the £5 level, you get next week's show one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do you get? With the £10 level, you get a Patreon-exclusive mug. You get Patreon-exclusive badges, stickers, Retro Power Rangers trading cards, sweeties and £5 off are under consultation t-shirt which can be bought along with other badges, mugs and stickers at our website underconsultation.com. A shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean, Sarah, Robert Johnson, Rich, Richard Downer, Rich Pemberton, Nick, Misha, Maddie Clark, Kevin, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Colin Cliff and Adam thank you all so much for listening we will see you in seven days time as we near the end of series four merry christmas dudes merry christmas hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 